Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Our text for our sermon is Isaiah chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. In that day you will say, I will give thanks to you, Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust in him and will not be afraid because Yah the Lord is my strength and song and he has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In that day, you will say, give thanks to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Declare among the peoples what he has done. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord for he has done amazing things. Let this be known in all the earth. Shout aloud and sing for joy, daughter of Zion, for the Holy One of Israel is great among you. This is the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the parable of the prodigal or lost son is actually very comforting. The man asks for his half of the inheritance. So the inheritance would be divided into thirds. The oldest son would get two-thirds, and on those two-thirds, he would support the father, the mother, any remaining members who were too old to work, and the other one would get the other half. But he squandered it. He blew it. When he comes to repentance, he can't restore what he's lost, brothers and sisters in Christ. And yet the father shows great patience, mercy, and love. That's how God is with us. If somebody commits a sin and we lose them, remember... When they repent, even if they can't restore the damage they've done, God is glad to have them back in eternal life. This is foolishness to people, but it is God's graciousness. And how often do we stop and think, not just of a person, but do you ever stop and think that that parable applies to an entire nation? See, God had made that covenant with the people at Sinai. You remain faithful to me and I will keep you as a sovereign nation and you will shine out like a brilliant spotlight. Here's where the Savior is to be born. Here's where salvation is to be found. And they said it's a deal. And then one generation after the next chased after false gods. They had the temple. They had the things that were to say that God is going to take on human flesh and be with them and remove their sins. And they didn't care. They worship Baal and Moloch. In our text actually begins several chapters before. And he is concerned because the northern kingdom of Israel, there's been that civil war. They're coming to attack him with an ally and he's trying to figure out what to do. And God sends Isaiah to say, don't worry about it. God's got this one. He says, ask for a sign. And the king won't even repent. He's too much of an idolater. And he tries to sound pious. I won't ask. I won't ask the Lord for a sign. And Isaiah gives those very famous words. Even though you won't ask for the sign, God's going to give it. The virgin will give birth. And you will call him Emmanuel. You know how that goes. Brothers and sisters in Christ, then it continues into a long prophecy about uh, the Syrians coming and everything else. But in chapter 11, he says, a shoot From the stump of Jesse will sprout. Jesse was David's father. There's going to be something different about this king who's coming. We know he's the Savior. And in verse 12, then, he gives us a song to celebrate what the Savior has done. And he literally provides that song. So a song of praise. Today, our sermon theme 
is praise the Lord as we look to Easter Sunday and beyond. God is calling back that nation of Israel. God is calling you and I back. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, when you look at that prodigal son, for example, what should the father have done? Smacked him upside the head, knocked him to the ground, said, You fool! You've wasted it! What a rotten son you've been! He's happy to have his son back. That's made possible because of the Son of the Lord. As I already mentioned in chapter 11, right before this, Isaiah mentions that coming sprout of Jesse, David's ancestor, who will save us. He will die on the cross for us. And so uh, Isaiah says in chapter 12, verse 1, And you will say on that day, I will publicly confess praise to you, O Lord, because although you were angry against me, yet your anger has turned back. Indeed, you comfort me. You continue comforting me. You're always my comfort. As the father comforted the lost son and said, welcome back. Brothers and sisters in Christ, when will we publicly confess this praise? What is this day that Isaiah is looking forward to? You and I are looking forward to it as we look at the passion history of our Lord during the midweek Lent services. And as we build up to that during our Sunday services It's not just the birth of our Savior which we've celebrated. It's the package deal. It's His death on the cross and His victory over sin and His resurrection because God should be angry with us. Who of us would not say the man was in the right to turn to that lost son who'd wandered away and tell him, you've got nothing coming. And God's anger is not like our anger. You and I can't be angry without having sin involved in it, can we? There's always a need for revenge. There's always that out of controlness. But, but God's anger, God's anger is actually holiness. We really can't even imagine that because we're sinners. God is perfectly holy. And when you're perfectly holy, you're going to destroy unholiness. God's anger is his justice against unholiness. But God didn't want you to suffer that injustice against your and I unholiness because that's hell. And so, He took on human flesh. He lived righteously in our place. He suffered the temptations you and I suffer, but he never fell to temptations you and I would easily break under that load. And then he took that punishment for us on the cross. We don't want to think of the cross as God the Father beating his son around because he's mad at you. It's his son taking an eternity of hell for you and getting it done in three hours. And he does it for you and for me. And so you and I can rejoice like the prodigal son who expects his dad to be angry and say, just hire me as a servant. That's the best we can do. But instead, God has provided salvation instead of his anger. And so Isaiah says in verse two, pay close attention. The almighty is my salvation. The God who's powerful enough to make sure we know we should be crushed for our unholiness. And he doesn't just tut-tut our sins. Instead, he has saved us. He's given us the faith so that we can cling to that cross of Christ so that we can be confident that our sins are forgiven. And that's the next stanza in Isaiah's song that he writes in praising. He says, I'm confident. You can be confident too. We don't want to be confident that we can run out and rush into sin and embrace it. Because what happens when we embrace it and we die without the Holy Spirit in our heart? But we're confident that even if we are tempted to do that, we have a Father who will pull us back. We're going to really have to put up a fight to lose our salvation. We are confident 
But daily we all have those sins that we especially struggle with and we lose them at least in our thoughts. We're confident that God pours the blood of His Son upon us and washes our sins away. Therefore, we can be confident that the promises of Scripture apply to us. We can be confident of God's grace. We can be confident that He is ruling to keep us in the faith He's given us. Confidence is a faith the Holy Spirit gives where we can read the Scripture and say, Amen, those promises are God talking to me. And we can be certain of that because He sealed those promises with us when we were baptized. So Isaiah says, I'm not frightened. It's easy to be afraid, isn't it? Afraid that we're going to fall into temptation. Afraid that we're going to lose our salvation. Afraid, brothers and sisters in Christ. Right now, there are Christians throughout the world who are being hunted down. Who are being persecuted because they are Christians. And what is the worst that somebody who hates you for being a Christian can do? Take your property by which God sustains your life? No, they can do worse than that. They can take your life. Why do so many Christians stand up and never deny their faith under such terrible threats? You can't scare a Christian by saying, I'll take your life, because the Christian says, my life is in God's hands, my eternal life. You can take my life, God's going to give me back my body, and it's going to be glorified. When we look at the world and anxieties kick in and we're afraid because how am I going to pay the bills or how am I going to handle this disease? We have that confidence we're saved. When we know that God provided salvation instead of anger, it takes the fear away. God stops being our enemy and He becomes our loving Father. He's our Savior. He's the Holy Spirit that lives in our heart and has given us that new man that has the confidence and doesn't fear. So we're told because the Lord Jehovah is my strength and the object of my song. The two names for the Lord there, one's just an abbreviation, that's that name being. I am, as God says. So it's, Doubly saying it, God who continues being, He makes His promises and He's absolutely faithful to them so we can be confident of that and therefore He becomes the object of our song of praise. Not look at the things I've done to help you save me. Not look at what a good child I am. All we can do is be like that prodigal son and say, I've sinned. But God's the object of our song. He says, I restore you. I've made you my son. Eternal life is yours. He provides salvation instead of anger. And so Isaiah says, indeed, he's become salvation for my sake, for my benefit. Don't just hear the words that Jesus is a savior. God gives you the confidence to know that he's your savior. Jesus dies on the cross for the sins of the world. But God assures you that he was specifically dying for you. To bring you, a lost son, back into his flock and keep you as his son. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we praise the Lord as we look to Easter Sunday and beyond because he provided salvation instead of the anger we deserve, just like the father did with that lost son. But there's another son in that story, isn't there? The son who gets upset. I faithfully managed your stuff. I've taken care of you. I've been good. You never even gave me one goat to celebrate with. The man missed it. He missed the gifts. What was the father's reply? You've always had me. We can get jealous because that person, they fell into that sin and they left the church and they lived it up and here we've struggled to make it and they come back and all's well. We've always had the Lord. That is a tremendous gift, brothers and sisters in Christ. I say it's a gift to never know what it's like to be without the Lord. 
But it's also a gift to know what it's like to be without the Lord and be brought back so that you know how wonderful it is to be in the Lord. So we see that he abundantly provides the gifts we need as well. And that begins at verse 3 where he says, And withdraw you will draw waters from the springs of salvation. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we know in Wyoming, which is a fairly dry climate, how important water is. Why, just a few weeks ago, we were saying there's not enough snowpack on Casper Mountain. And now we're saying, OK, OK, we, we can go with a little less snow now. A person can go like two days without water. And after that, they'll dehydrate and die. I cannot help but to think of Psalm 1 when I read this, where that tree is planted beside a stream of water that never dries. And so it says, even in droughts, it produces fruit. The springs of water begin with God's word, brothers and sisters in Christ. God's word that, as we've just learned, tells us he's provided salvation instead of anger, shows our sin, but shows our Savior. And that word produces that new man because it gives us the Holy Spirit who gives birth to the new man. And then that word strengthens the new man, assuring it of the promises. And when we go, am I going to commit or have I committed a sin God can't forgive? That word is right there with stories like the lost son to say, return to the flock. God loves you. But we combine that word, as I've already mentioned, with water in baptism. And there God seals you. He says, I've made a promise with you and you're going to really have to fight me before I keep you from being saved. We combine that word with bread and wine and we literally get to eat. We get to taste the forgiveness Christ gave his body and blood to win for us. He provides the gifts we need by giving us the means of grace, his word, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And so Isaiah says in verse four, and you will say on that day, publicly confess praise to the Lord, call on his name. We have his word and his word tells us what his name is. His name tells us what God does for us. We call on that name saying, Lord, do those things for me. For example, the name Jesus from the Hebrew word Yahshua, which means savior. God is your savior. You call on his name to praise him. But you also call upon his name saying, Lord, act for me. I'm struggling with my sin. You're the almighty Lord. Lord, I've sinned. Act for me. Be my savior. I repent. Lord, act for my neighbor. How wonderful it is. The gift we have is that we can pray to God. And calling on his name isn't just praying to him. It's worshiping him. It's praising him. And we publicly confess that praise by the faith he's given us. And being in that word, those means of grace empowers us that we don't hide the light of our faith. And so Isaiah says, make his deeds known among the peoples. You're here this morning learning of his deeds. Later, you will be able to apply those to your neighbor as they come to you with problems, as they talk to you about their lives. Say, let me tell you about God, your savior. We live in an age full of anxiety. We live in an age that thinks we've outthought God and we don't need God. We, we, we've gotten to a point where life has become you and me. Or we're just mammals that have hyper evolved and do what you want. And, and it's really ruining lives. You have a life giving message of a loving Lord that's there to provide. Call out the remainder that his name is most high. Nothing's higher than God's name. If we want if we want a cure to the ills of this world, why not go to the medicine? There's no better medicine. It is the cure. God's name again. 
We've said several things, but God's name reveals to us what he does for us, how he acts for us. We cling to that and trust in that with faith. He's given us the gifts to show that to other people, not just each one of us individually, but each of us together as his flock, that we can proclaim that and let it be known. So Isaiah says, sing the Lord's praises because he works something excellent that is known on all the earth. Brothers and sisters in Christ, This is where Christianity stands out from every other religion ever known to mankind. In every other religion, you do the work. It's just a matter of how much. Do you do 10%? Do you do 100%? Christianity is the only one where God has done 100% of the work. He did something excellent. He took on human flesh and suffered the punishment for us. He's given us the gifts that you and I have come to know it. And he gives us the gifts that we can share it. We make it known. So Isaiah wraps this up saying, Bellow out and shout for joy, inhabitant of Zion, because great in the midst is the Holy One of Israel. Zion is the mount where the temple was. The temple was to remind people of the coming Savior because of all the sacrifices, but it also reminded them that God was with them. Brothers and sisters in Christ, true Zion is the invisible church in which you are a member. So bellow out and shout for joy, because great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. He's planted his Holy Spirit in your heart. Jesus promises where two or three gather together, I'm there with them. But above and beyond that, when the Holy Spirit gave birth to your new man, he connected you to Christ as a branch is to the vine. Your new man is glorious. That is the glory of God. He is inseparably connected to you within your midst. Brothers and sisters in Christ, he's abundantly provided the gifts we need. For the times and the locations, wherever the invisible church is made visible, God is there. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the father provided for the son. The son couldn't restore what he had squandered, but the father restored him as son. The older son complained, but the older son overlooked the fact that he was always with God, that he always had the gifts. And today, as Isaiah looks at a people who are constantly worshiping false gods, he points way ahead 700 years later to that time when Jesus will be born and die and raised victorious from the grave. And so we praise the Lord as we look to Easter Sunday and beyond. He provided salvation instead of God's just anger, his wrath against our sin, and he abundantly provides the gifts we need to bring us to and keep us in that inheritance he won for us. Amen. Now may the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will and may he work on in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.